0: Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozlov. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Good morning, church. Thank you. Uh, I have to make a disclaimer before I start speaking. Because I'm going to make some people uncomfortable today by speaking about what I decided to speak today. And we did not coordinate this tightly thing or whatever uh, Wes was talking about right now. So I had no clue that he's going to do that. So it's not coordinated. It's not a setup. Okay. Okay. Here I start. Dennis Kozlov, Associate Pastor. You know me. If you are here for the first time and you hear accent or you catch me butchering English grammar, that's okay. I have special grace from this congregation for that. uh, Because I'm not born in this country. I I moved as soon as I could. (laughs) Yeah, And I love Ohio. And I love Springfield. And I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to talk to you today in a very straightforward way. And you know me. I can't. Okay, now I'm going to answer a question that some people have in their mind right now, Dennis. What's up with the suit? <laughs> See, I'm a prophet too. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I wear it today for a purpose. I, that's not re- regularly my style. I like dressing up a little, but I like business casual. That's a little. That's severely overdressed. Let's admit it. Uh, I brought this suit from Russia to America with me. And it's a very special suit. I use it in three times for three things only. I, I marry people in it. I bury people in it. And I talk about people and their money in God. And some of you go, oh boy. <laughs> uh, but stay with me. There's a story behind it. The reason I'm wearing it is not just to impress you or show off. It's it's a talking of memory of a practical lesson that God has taught me and my wife years ago. And I hope I will never forget this lesson. And I hope God will teach you this lesson. And I hope you will never forget this lesson. And if you do learn this lesson, I promise it's going to transform your life. It will, I know. It will move you from one way of living with God to a whole different level here I go. I'm going to talk about money. And money makes people nervous. Why talk about money? We as pastors, we try not to talk about money because church has a reputation of doing this all the time. And, you know, when I read the autobiography of uh, Benjamin Franklin, he was a smart man. So every time he would come to a Christian gathering, he himself was not very active Christian. But every time he would come to a Christian gathering, he would deliberately not take his money with him because he knew how good those guys are. (laughs) So, well, anyway, you are all in different places in relation to that, but I'm gonna ask big questions. And I'm gonna ask you. I'm not gonna ask you, I'm gonna help you ask yourself those questions because you really are the one who can answer those questions, not not me. So I answered you the question, what about the suit? So you'll hear the story behind the suit. There is a story behind the suit. So money is very important, let's acknowledge that people divorce over money people fight over money people break relationship over money people are afraid to make relationship because of their money i heard that young people today that's one of the biggest reasons they list why they they're not ready to commit to marriage because they're afraid they don't have enough money for that which is i'm not going to go there but anyway that's important but my my desire to you for for you today is to really see the connection between your spiritual life and your money there is a there is a connection does god speak about money yes he does does god care about how we handle money yes he does uh does the bible speak about money well somebody did the math for me and they counted 2350 verses that talk about money and handling possession that's a lot that's a lot that's why i have a i'm sanctioned here to talk about by the way this is a series called unleashed you basically unleashed neil and me for several weeks just to to seek the lord to ask him what he played on our heart and just to release it and when he started talking to me like talk to them about money i said "Eh, why me why neil not uh, like why is it me bad cop all the time no 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 i'm just kidding yeah, so Bible says a lot, and the Bible has tons about money. The Bible talks about how to earn money, how to save money, how to not to get into debt, how to get out of the debt if you got into a debt, how to leave an inheritance for your kid, tons of things, right? So I, I want to recalibrate our, our thinking about So, but throughout the Christian history, Christian community developed few, and there are many approaches to money. Two dominating ones today. If you're really religious and if you have a lot of Catholic background, you subconsciously think that money is evil. A lot of people think that money somehow brings evil to people. That is not biblical. That is not true. I don't have time to develop that. But money has a great power to expose what's in a person's heart, not to bring evil into the heart. The the evil is already there. It's like steroids for whatever is in your heart. If you have good things in your heart, money will actually enable you to do a lot of good in this world. If you have a lot of selfish, seeking, ambitious ideas about you, that will become manifest when money comes. Right? Would you agree with me? That's kind of So I don't want you ever to endorse the approach that money is evil or the more money, the more evil there is. That's not true. We live in a broken world with a broken people with a broken heart, and when they get a lot of resources, things get more broken. That's what happens. So there's another approach that is more prominent about us, evangelicals. I mean, I, I use a generic term evangelicals, like Baptists, Pentecostals, charismatics, doesn't matter. Those who, who really uplift the Bible. For some reason, these guys, a lot of these guys, and you may find this in your in the back of your mind, you tend to believe this: like, okay, spiritual, godly life. When is, is when you learn to live within the means, which is true, amen. But it's, it's like when I have just enough to pay my bills, to take care of the essential needs of my family, I don't want anything beyond that. That's good. That's spiritual. That's godly. That's a bullcrap. I mean, I'll I'll cut through the chase. That's not biblical. That's not Jewish. Have you ever seen a Jewish person thinking this way? And the Bible is Jewish, for those of you who forgot about it. So if your understanding of Old Testament is very, very different from how Jewish people understand it, something's wrong with your theology. You got that? All right, so These are two dominating ones, and I don't want you to hold to them. And if you find those shreds of this belief and those understanding, I want you to be set free. Because what does the Bible reveal to us about a general blueprint that God has always had for His covenant people, whether we're talking about Jewish people in the Old Testament or whether we're talking about new covenant believers? What is the... One word that describes God's general idea, and I'm going to say this word, prosperity. I'm sorry, it will, like, oh, red flags, alarm. I knew that. That Dennis guy, he's a prosperity gospel preacher. I'm not. Hey, listen, before 30s of last century, a particular style of mustache was very fashionable. It's called toothbrush mustache. For some reason, in the 50s, it totally went out of fashion never came back again. Do you know why? Adolf Hitler really ruined it for us who love this mustache style. So, not not, not I don't think there's anybody today who would go public like that. But I bet you, like guys all over the world, every third guy, when they shave their mustache, they probably do that in the privacy of the bathroom. They just take off sides of it just to look how it looks like. (laughs) well anyway so what i'm saying is hitler done a lot of damage to the name adolf yeah i mean i i I don't know but i don't think this name is very popular in german uh, speaking world and the the mustache is ruined forever even charlie chaplin could not rehabilitate it (laughs) but there were a number of preachers and teachers and teachings and theologies that really did a lot of damage to the biblical concept of prosperity so i need to do a lot of cleaning work to bring it back to you. Because there is a false teaching of prosperity. There is a false preaching of prosperity. And there is a true, genuine, biblical prosperity. And I want you to be so clear about it. So that you will never confuse them. But at the same time, you would pursue and you, you would uphold what the Bible teaches us about. God's idea for our life financially. Alright? So, well, basically, you know what most of you probably know. And by the way, this approach, this, let me, let me, coming back to this life of austerity and frugality, when you have just essential minimum, bare minimum, there is one prayer in the Bible, it's called prayer of of Agur, it's found in Proverbs, and the guy is praying, and his prayer seems to support this approach, that just give me bare minimum, he basically prays, God, do not have, do not give me... poverty in my life and do not give me any abundance just keep me right there in the middle keeping the equilibrium and he explains why it's it's found I'm not going to have it on the screen but it's it's found in Proverbs 30 8 through 9 he says two things I ask of you deny them not to me before I die remove from me falsehood and lying which is very good thank you Agur good boy a plus and then he continues to pray give me neither poverty nor riches feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say who's the Lord or (laughs) lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God so don't take it as God's blueprint for your finances it's one prayer of one guy who is very good at being self-aware how evil he is. Who fully understands his heart's propensity. And who lived long enough to observe the patterns in his life so that he noticed this strange phenomenon every time he has more than enough He sins against God. Every time he has less than enough, he sins against God. So he gets to this point. He says, Lord, I just want to stand on this one one foot by one foot budget for the rest of my life, please. That's how I don't sin against you. Do you see what's happening here? Do you want it to be your lifestyle? That's not new covenant. That is not old covenant even. That is very self-aware. That's not God-aware. All right, so I, I wanted to, to, to get out of it. That's why I came back. So, so money is not evil. Humans' hearts are evil. You shouldn't strive to live in poverty. No, 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 no. You shouldn't strive to live in this extreme austerity and asceticism when you can only have one t-shirt for a year. Please don't live like that. You're stupid if you live like that. God doesn't want you to live like that. So, and I told you, what's God's blueprint? Uh, prosperity. There is a, you know... The word prosperity, the concept of prosperity, is not only in the Bible, it's throughout the Bible. It's throughout the Bible. Beginning from the Old Testament, beginning from the book of Genesis, beginning from the very beginning. I'll just read one verse, and it's, it's kind of a typical verse for the Old Testament. Deuteronomy eight eighteen. he's leading his people out of the slavery land, and... One generation has already died, A new generation has been risen, and they're right, they're about to enter into the land of promise, and that's what God is saying. Deuteronomy 8:18. 8, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth that He may establish His covenant. You see, He connects you, your money, and He's coming in relationship with you. Do you see that? Amen. Do you see that? So that's why money is important. But money is important. But I want to I wanna make a distinction between this false preaching, false message of prosperity, and the true biblical message of prosperity. False message of prosperity. So those preachers, and they're still around, they're still preaching that, they basically preach a very simplistic message. They say, if you receive Jesus, you become absolutely immune to anything horrible, bad, or negative in your life. You become like a repellent to anything bad. No financial hiccups will ever happen to you. No relational strains. No nothing bad is going to happen to you. Only you become a magnet for all the wonderful things. You'll become above everybody else. You, everybody is going to see you. Oh, wow, you're blessed. You know what's wrong with this picture? Well, first of all, the big thing that is wrong with this picture, it's not true. If you if you live more than one year on this earth, you know it's not true. Second of all, you're promised not only good things from the Lord, but some tough things. If you stand for the truth, you will be persecuted. I'm sorry, that's part of the deal. But in the midst of persecution, you will still be prospering. It goes through the Bible. Righteousness brings blessing. Blessing permeates every area of life and it becomes shown. It it manifests. Does it make sense? A curse brings the opposite. All right? So, here's the major point that makes a difference. That's how you can say whether it's prosperity, false prosperity gospel, so-called gospel or bless me club or whatever. They have thousands of names. Or it's a true biblical concept. Well, false prosperity is always based on self-seeking. I'll say it again. False prosperity is always based on self-seeking. And it leads ultimate, ultimately it leads to spiritual bankruptcy and fruit, fruitlessness. And I don't have time to go to all the scriptures. Remember the parable that Jesus said. One man, one time, he's... Land produced so much that was amazing. And it immediately revealed his heart. He said, oh, 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 I'm going to live large now. I'm going to live on my dividends. I'm going to relax. I'm going to chill out. And God, you're full. Your life is going to be taken from you this night. Well, that's a false prosperity. What is the, my goodness, my no, oh, here it is. The true prosperity always starts with proclaiming God's Kingship over your life. True prosperity always begins with proclaiming, declaring, and acknowledging God's kingdom over your life. Always. And seeking His kingdom to come in your life. And seeking His kingdom to come through your life. Kingdom comes through a principle of stewardship. It just doesn't drop from heaven to your lap. It drops to your spirit. And it goes out through your hands, through your words, through your money. All right? I'm going to read a uh, scripture for that. Luke 12, verses 31, 33. And I'll try to subdue my enthusiasm. All right? So, you know, sometimes I scream, I yell. I I try to be more in a teaching mode today, But you know me. I, I have a hard time staying there. So Luke 12, uh, 31, 33. Therefore, Jesus speaking to his disciples, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Gentiles are people who don't have covenant relationship with the Lord. So if you have covenant relationship with the Lord, don't you do that, Jesus says. So don't be like Gentiles, for they seek after these things. Their whole life is centered on trying to make sure their are financially secure. But here's how you should live. He says, for your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you i read it again don't seek what to eat don't seek how to make money don't seek don't make it high priority in your life don't lose your sleep over it don't lose your peace over it don't lose your attention over it recalibrate your attention and reset your attention on a regular basis on what's the most important thing which is the kingdom of god and god will take care of your needs So your needs will be met, but, God, but you don't stop there. God's desire, listen to this, is to make every person who belongs to Him a steward of His resources. That's why prosperity, true biblical prosperity, is not selfish. It's very much the opposite. Prosperity is a pursuit that makes God happy because He wants you not just to live to have your needs met. He wants you to accomplish things that He has in mind for you to accomplish in this world. But it takes resources. Not only so, He wants you to become an instrumental part in other believers' lives to accomplish their God, God-given assignment. Does it make sense? Do you hear me? Because if you are bound financially and if you're like up to your ears in debt, all you have is good intentions and prayers. And sometimes your prayers are not that great. Because you're you're swamped in those thoughts. You're constantly like, you're not really, yeah, I'm not going there. We'll talk about prayer some other time. But that's the thing. Expecting biblical prosperity is a righteous thing. So if you were subconsciously following this like oh, I gotta be poor or like I just have to have my ends meet. No dude you're doing it wrong. You need to repent, change your mind and ask God let's reset this button. Teach me how to be a prosperous soul. Teach me how to prosper on my ways in the middle of difficulties, in the middle of dark seasons that we, we might going through. Teach me how to do that. So God's banner for his people has always been blessed to be a blessing. That's why we don't believe in Bless Me Club. We believe, yes, I'm going to be blessed. So that I can become a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. That's God's blueprint. So don't you be discouraged if somebody says, oh, you're like prosperity people. No, the Bible is speaks about true genuine prosperity can i hear an amen? amen all right so biblical once again i'll say biblical motivation for material prosperity is a desire to have resources to do everything god has called you to do for his kingdom and to bless others and help them to fulfill their assignments from god you see how change transformed in the last two uh, two years our church you know it took money And somebody delivered that money, somebody stewarded that money. So, prosperity doesn't mean that every Christian will become a millionaire. No, 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 no. But it means that you have all your needs met, you'll have enough for accomplishing what God has called you to do in this world, and you'll have enough to enable other people to accomplish what they're called by the Lord to do in this world. That's a standard. And unfortunately, we don't live there. We, we, don't, we live subpar kind of life. And I'm not going to bash you about it. I, I want you to, to be set free. I want me to be set free. And it's not just once for all thing. It, it ha- keeps coming at you and you keep drifting away. So 2 Corinthians, Corinthians uh, chapter 9 is a good, good scripture to illustrate what I just said. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, listen to this, I want you to really pay attention to verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency, did you hear that? Having all sufficiency in all things, all times. You may abound in every good work. That's a beautiful life that God desires for you and me. We want to be intentional about getting rid of whatever is holding us back from this kind of life. I want to be blessed to be blessing. I want to be like a king who is not thinking too much. He sees the need, he responds to the need. He blesses the people. He sees the work of God, he wants to bless the work of God. A lot of Christians live with the good intentions, being a nice people, not being able to do anything. A good Samaritan story would be a very bad story if good Samaritan would have no money. It wouldn't be a story, we wouldn't know it. So without resources, all you have is good intentions. So my question, why so many Christians don't live there? Why? Let's be honest, most of us don't live there. Most of us don't. Uh, As I was preparing for this message, one of the gentlemen, one of the brothers who was in the sermon prep team, he said, he read it somewhere, I guess, that an average American Christian spending patterns and their financials well-being is no different from an average American non-believer. So an average American non-believer is, well, I'm not going to go there, but many of them up to their ears in debts, and they're not able to do much. And the Bible says if you are in debt, you are a slave. And if you are a slave, you have no freedom to do things that God has called you to do. You're doing what others tells you to do. Do you hear that? And a lot of us are living like slaves. So we read about Old Testament, I mean, early church when a lot of people were slaves there in the church. They couldn't do much. We're living there. Well, so why why is that happening? And I believe the main reason why we have a hard time moving into this lifestyle that God describes in the Bible is because we bought into a lie of separating financial, material realm from God's spiritual realm. And we created what I call Goosebumps Christianity. So we limit the experience of God to times and places when we say certain words about God, or we sing certain words about God, or we, we, we worship like we did today, and we had a Goosebumps. And we say, oh, that's nice. I, I feel like I worship today. I got Goosebumps. I got this like tingling feeling great God must maybe doing something but then you step out of this time and place and you're not capable of doing anything for God really because somewhere along the way you believe the lie that these realms are separated and you're trying what's happening you're trying to serve two masters and Jesus said it's just not possible I'm gonna read that famous scripture to you it's found in Matthew 6 24 No one, Jesus said, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's just not possible. Here comes my story about the suit. I hope I have enough time to tell you. So Neil was very honest and candid many times when he shared his story how he rediscovered the goodness of God manifested through the gospel by going through a very dark season in his life when he had an emotional breakdown, he had a depression, and he he was that close to quit the ministry altogether. My story is less dramatic but very similar thing. Uh, When I became a Christian, I was a teenager in 1992, and before I knew it, I got involved in all kinds of ministries. By the time I'm married, I have my first two kids. Uh, all of my income is coming from being involved in all kinds of christian ministry so i'm in ministry world for many years but by the time uh i don't remember what year it was i think it was around 2008 i already had my seminary degree i already worked in christian radio stations i already held all kind of training seminars i i could teach anything about any subject in christian world but in my heart i grew so dissatisfied, so disillusioned, so cynical. Because I've seen so many abuses in, in the world of Christian ministry that I really wanted one thing. I wanted to exit. And I, wanted, I really wanted to find a good secular job that would pay well enough so that I would have my life, I would have my bills paid, and I would have some fun in life. And I just did not want to be in the ministry anymore. And I was looking for that. But instead, my wife and I, we made very unwise financial decisions. And we saw an opportunity to get a great return on a quick investment, but we didn't have time, didn't have money to invest. So we borrowed tons of money and we invested and it did not turn out the way we did. And by the way, both my wife and I, we we, we were raised in a dysfunctional family. We've never seen good examples of how to handle money well. So we always lived at the verge of being broke. So we knew one financial secret that was very stupid. Don't do it. But that's how we lived for years. Every time a chunk of money comes your way, spend it on a big thing as soon as you can. Because that thing is going to shrink and melt immediately. So if you wait three more days, boom, you can't buy anything serious now. So like if, if big enough money came to buy a refrigerator, buy a new refrigerator for God's sake. Otherwise, like by tomorrow, you won't be able to. So, not a good strategy for living. Well, anyway, we, we got ourselves into this situation and we thought we, we're gonna get by as usual. And all of a sudden, I began to realize we're not getting by. That was too much. All of a sudden, we feel like we're, we're plummeting down, down, down. And it started getting like a snowball, like an avalanche. And it started affecting my relationship. my, like, ah, oh, I started getting depressed. I don't know what to do. And it's getting bigger and bigger, getting out of the control. And I, I that, Ah, oh, And that finally brought me to the point when I needed to cry out to God. I knew all the principles about the Bible and giving and tithes and this and that. I wasn't excited about it. But God sent my, my way one man, and I didn't like him, but I did like him. He was not likable. But God said, this man has wisdom from the Bible to help you out. And I, I humbled myself. I came to the guy I don't like, especially his sense of humor. It was weird. But I had to put up with that. So, but I saw fundamental difference. I saw this guy knows how to live. I don't. I know how to survive. And my strategy of survival did not work any longer. And I said, Dave, his name was Dave. I said, Dave, can you teach me? Can you help me? And he was doing this Bible-based discipleship and training. And he said, let's see how teachable you are said, okay, what do you need? I said, like, money. I'm hurt real bad, and I don't know what to do about it. I have no clue. He said, oh, yeah, yeah. The Bible talks about money a lot, and I helped a lot of people. I'll help you. So he started coaching me, and I started doing all these things that he told me to do. And here, what was happening within me. There was a childlike believer, little baby in me, who really wanted to see the hand of God move. And there was another Version of me, cynical, cynical Dennis who has seen all of it and knows all of it. And the cynical Dennis, who is unbeliever, keeps telling to himself, Dennis, you know it's all, it's all math. There's no room for God to move in that thing. It's just math. Math, you can't have space in math for God to move. That's my cynical self talking. So, of course, he's gonna tell you to start keeping track of your expenses. Of course, he's gonna tell you to start budgeting, learning how to budget. Of course, he's gonna tell you to start giving to church. Of course, he's gonna tell you this and that. And it's math. And then another side of me was like, but I hope it's not just math. I hope God has a room and space to show Himself. But, cynical guy was winning, and I was doing his exercises. And my, 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 my inner believing childlike dude was really hoping to see a miracle. And he saw miracles. He began to see miracles, but not the way he expected. You know, we started doing all of that. And one day came when we didn't have any protein for our kids. We didn't have any meat. We didn't have any chicken. We didn't have any hot dogs. We just had like pasta or like instant mashed potatoes. And I felt bad about it, not because of me or my wife. We went through the time when the Soviet Union collapsed. You, you couldn't, I mean, we've gone through a time when there's no food nowhere. But our kids never had that. And I felt real bad as a father, like how in the world I'm going to just put a plain plate of noodles with nothing on it. I would, that hurt me. And I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. All I know is to borrow some money again. And unless you intervene and do something... I'm going to do that. But listen, I forgot to tell you what began to happen as soon as I started being coached by this man. The weirdest things began to happen. Remember the cynical me? Hey, just math. Remember the guy within me who said, who wants to see God move? So I thought God is going to move by just sending me cash and blessing me with some money. And it didn't happen. But something began to happen. Something weird began to happen. All of a sudden, I found myself in the season when I had no increase in cash. But all of a sudden, my level, the quality of life was brought from a level of a peasant to a level of a king. I don't know how. How to explain it to you. I started being, people would start giving me rides in the most luxurious cars. I started being invited to the restaurants that if I tell you how much one bill is, you would probably faint. I didn't know those places existed. One guy said, God put it on my heart to take you to a place to buy you a suit. And he took me to that place. And I went to this place. And I've never been to places like that. They dance around you. They bring you coffee and chocolate. They let you try anything. And they would measure you. And they would keep your stuff you buy. And they would tell, tailor you. I, a little, little begging now because I lost a lot of weight. But... That, I used to look like a congressman in that thing. So I came there. I came there and they started doing all these dances and measuring and chocolate serving. and I was like, oh, what's going on? So well anyway, this guy begins to pay and I look at the price tag. This suit is $3,000 suit. This tie is $500 tie. He got me a t-shirt that was like $400 t-shirt. These shoes are $1,000 shoes. And things like that began to happen to me for three months straight. No cash in my wallet. And I'm totally puzzled. I said, Lord, what is it? I really, I, I prefer cash. So let's jump back to the day when I have no protein for my kids. I'm hurt. I pray. I'm ready to borrow money again. I'm in this season, strange season, when I live like a king having zero pennies in my pocket. I don't have money to buy meat for my kids. So I go to this church. I go to this church. And I hope that as we worship, God's going to land somebody's heart to bless me financially so they can buy meat. Right? (laughs) And I go, hallelujah, praise the Lord. First service, nothing happens. Second service, we worship you, Lord. Nothing happens. On the way from the church, I started looking under the bushes. Maybe I'll just find a wallet somebody dropped. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. I get a phone call. This guy calls me. I barely know him. I know him, but I barely know him. He said, are you home? I said, no. Why? Uh, can somebody open the door for me? I'm by your home. I said, why? I got something for you. Okay. I come home, and my daughter is there, and she's like, I don't remember how old she, she was. She, she was probably in third grade or something. I said, Jeannie, who came? Oh, this guy. What did he bring? She said, I don't know. He, he said to put it in the fridge. I go to the fridge. I open the fridge. I pull out this brown bag, paper bag. I open it. It's a top quality marble steak from New Zealand. My cynical, unbelieving inner Dennis died that day. Those two Separated, divorced areas of your material finances, financial life, and the spiritual life, goosebumps Christianity, got connected finally. And I began to recognize that God is a true source of all the resources that you need. And when Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, he says, you cannot put your trust both in God and in the resources you need for life and ministry. You should withdraw all your trust from all your resources and put it into God as a true source. Resources change. The source doesn't. Resources fluctuate. The source doesn't. You hear me? And I'm going to give you a very simple... I, I, I ran out of my time, but I apologize. And I need to finish this message for your sake, for my sake. There's the simplest way how you can do this good repentance and restart your life and overcome this disengagement of these two different realms and bring them together as one. I'm going to read it. in. It's found in the book of Proverbs. And again, you're all at different places in your life. Some of you have always been good with budgeting and controlling money and some of you are horrible. That's fine. You will learn those principles and those practices. But right now, I'm not talking about those. These are all secondary. I'm talking about the big one. God as your true source. Don't separate life into spiritual and physical. It's all from God. God is the source of all good things. All good things. Your talents, your abilities. My ability to speak a different language that I I wasn't born in. It's of God. Well, anyway, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. wine. What does it mean to honor the Lord? You know, the phrase honor is not just to say something with your words. If one of the Ten Commandments said, honor your father and mother. You know what it means? It means take care of them physically and materially. Give them money when they're old. Take care of them that they don't need anything. Do you hear me? That's honoring. That's honoring. That's a biblical Jewish way of honoring. Not your Western spiritual, oh, I pray for you. It's. I mean, it's nice for you to say that. It costs you nothing. Well, Anyway. What does it mean to honor the Lord with the... There's a principle of honoring the Lord with the first fruits. That's how you acknowledge Him as your source. And I have to do some cleaning work here too. Because unfortunately, in charismatic Pentecostal circles, they have put so much emphasis on the tithe. And they made tithe a law for New Testament Christians, which is not true. I just read today, give out of the cheerful heart, not out of compulsion. And there's so much compulsion going on in Christian circles because they scare you into giving, telling that you're going to rob God, and if you rob God, you're going to be cursed. That is not true for you. Yet, yet, the principle of honoring the Lord as an act of acknowledging Him being your source remains. You decide in your heart, every single thing, good thing that comes to your life, you decide ahead of time to take a designated portion and to give it to Him. And by giving to Him, I mean to give to a place or a group of people that you believe is God's work, God's idea, God's God's labor, and you give it for sure. Here's the... Another thing, a lot of Christians don't give. They give, but they don't. You know, I worked at the Christian radio station. I, I one time got a phone call and it was an angry man. He said, he heard some program on our radio station and he didn't like it. And he said, I've been tithing to your Christian station and I've been giving it for years. Now I want refund. <laughs> I didn't tell him to him. i like, dude, you have given nothing. Because when you give, there are no strings attached. You forget. If you still feel bad about how your money is used by a local church you belong to, you haven't given, dude. You give as unto the Lord and you forget it. You trust and God is going to do His part in your life. So I, I, I ran out of time, but I'm going to tell you please reset this area of life. If they're separated, make sure you bring them together. And this is the easiest way to do it. This shortcut, in a sense, you Begin to meditate on the goodness of God and how much He is truly your source of everything. Remove any trust that you have for your resources into Him as a source, and do it practically by by deciding in your heart to take a specific portion. By the way, tithe is is it one tenth, ten percent of anything? That's a good principle. It was before the law entered the scene. It was something that Abraham did, something that Jacob did, something a lot of Jewish people did and all of them prospered. So I'm not scaring you into tithing. I'm encouraging, encouraging you into tithing. And here's my promise. Cool things are going to happen to you. Just watch it because God promised. There's only one passage in the Bible when God says, test me test me you know what i was doing with that stupid suit and all these things i was testing the lord and he said just test me see if i will not open the windows of heaven i have tons of stories i don't have time to tell you tons of one of them olga sitting right there she came to the church two years ago she doesn't know she did no left from right in the bible never was raised as a christian nothing so she just learns the ropes and she comes to my wife and like, how do you guys give money to the church? What is it for? My wife explains. She decides to write her very first check in her entire life to the church. Never done it before. But there's an interesting mark on her life. She knows one thing. She never wins anything. Any raffles, any lotteries, nothing ever is won by her. If there will be like 10 people, nine will win something. She will never win something. She just knows it. It's just kind of a mark. So she writes her first check, drops it in the box, comes out to the parking lot, talks to me, gets a phone call in my presence. Huh? 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 I see all these emotions going. She goes, "How was Kroger?" They said I just randomly uh, won this basket of goodies just out of the blue. You know, you say, "I ah, coincidence, dude." Just watch for those coincidences. My, my wife last year uh, this year she said like there, there's a preacher in russia that i listen to him and he really blesses me because the word really speaks to me and changes me can we bless him financially by the way good thing for you to know if somebody blesses you spiritually bless them financially that's a good thing that's a biblical thing that's a jewish thing well anyway my wife says can we bless this preacher in russia i said well you run our finances like tell me can we i want it let's do it she says like she, she decided to, to send $1,000 to this guy. Just bless them to, just to do whatever and forget about it. <laughs> the day she sends it, the next day she gets an email from Clark State Community College. Oh, by the way, you were drafted and awarded the scholarship for $1,000. Yeah. The same in 24 hours. <laughs> I, I work for a company, GFS, Gordon Food Service. You know, it's a big company all over America and Canada. Uh, hard work. Uh, I worked for the, for the uh, Ohio Valley Division or something like that. I used to work there. So there were like hundreds of people. They had a ruffle there. As soon as my wife got yeah. they had a ruffle for three people for the top price of $2,500 voucher for vacation. Planes, trains, automobiles, hotels, anything. My name pulled out the very next day. Like, here's what I challenge you to do consider that, process that, bring it to the Lord. Ask yourself a question. Do I, do I have two separate realms in my life? One for God, goosebumps Christianity, and another one is for my practical living? And that's the, if that's the case, and that's the case for many people, repent. Bring it to God and say, God, I want to really join them. I want to put all of my trust into one source and to receive all of the resources from that source, no matter what, through whom and how they come. And I'm going to decide to do that thing, to test you. and I'll give you a time frame. Take three months. Start if you're not a tither, if you're not a giver, start deliberately giving. start deliberately tithing. And I'm not even asking you to give to this church necessarily. You, you, you're welcome to I feel I think God is moving here, but you're welcome to give it to any ministry, any work, any organization that you believe does God's work and bears God's fruit, and start deliberately giving. The first fruits of your any good thing that comes to your life any income to them for three months and watch what happens and if nothing happens forget about it it would be a good experiment and you will come to me and say dennis i just wasted so much money but i stand on this word and that word never failed anybody yet well if you want more if you want to immerse yourself i have few materials recommended for you to get yourself into can we have it on the slide please That's one good book. The reason I recommend specific books, because a lot of books are tinted with the legalistic approach to the tithe. And I don't want you to get into those books. They might be good, but that might get you in the wrong thinking. One is by Jim Baker. who lives in Columbus. How Heaven Invades Your Finances. Wonderful book to read. Wonderful book. The next one is Financial Stewardship by Andrew Womack wonderful book to read and also free series of YouTube videos. You can just go on YouTube and each watch one video a day and that will be great reset of your thinking. And the third one, I did not experience this one, but Wes Haney, our pastor, one of our pastors, recommended this one, and I trust Wes. It's a podcast called Cultural Catalyst with uh, Chris Vallaton, and he invited this Jewish girl, Samia Pidalio, and she was sharing the Jewish principle of understanding of wealth and prosperity. Also good stuff. All right, guys, I'm sorry for taking an extra time today. It was a different message. It was a special message. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at VineyardNorthridge.